Good evening, everyone. Breaking news from Capitol Hill. Just moments ago, the House failed to impeach Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas by just two votes. It was an embarrassing loss for Speaker Mike Johnson. And we're going to have much more on that dramatic moment just a bit later in the show. But we begin tonight with Citizen Trump. The idea that an American president returns to being an ordinary citizen, just like everyone else after they leave office, is as fundamental to the concept of America as the Bill of Rights. We are a nation with no king. And therefore, even the president of the United States is just a citizen, no more, no less. And as such, they are held to the same laws and provided with the same defenses that you and I get. That is what the three-judge panel on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously ruled today in its crushing legal takedown that counter to Trump's stated arguments, presidents do not have complete and absolute immunity from criminal prosecution. And thus, Trump must face trial for his alleged attempts to overturn the 2020 election. In their ruling, they reminded Trump what the Supreme Court has already declared, quote, no man in this country is so high that he is above the law. No officer of the law may set that law at defiance with impunity. All of the officers of the government, from the highest to the lowest, are creatures of the law and are bound to obey it. It is the only supreme power in our system of government. And every man who, by accepting office, participates in its functions, is only the more strongly bound to submit to that supremacy and to observe the limitations which it imposes upon the exercise of the authority which it gives. To sum it up for you, Donald, you are not untouchable, even if you did sit behind the resolute desk at one point. The judges added that to allow Trump such unchecked powers would bring irreparable harm to our very system of government. They write, at bottom, former President Trump's stance would collapse our system of separated powers by placing the president beyond the reach of all three branches. Presidential immunity against federal indictment would mean that, as to the president, the Congress could not legislate, the executive could not prosecute, and the judiciary could not review. We cannot accept that the office of the presidency places its former occupants above the law for all time thereafter. Now, remember, this is the first time that an appeals court has had to consider this question because never before in our country's history has a former president ever been indicted, let alone made these sweeping claims of immunity. And this decision will not only impact Donald Trump's federal election interference case, but also the similar one out of Georgia, where Trump has also made the claim of presidential immunity. And while this court has handed Trump a significant defeat, he has been able to accomplish one of his ongoing goals, delay the trial for as long as possible. As it stands, the case has been on pause for nearly two months as he appealed the presidential immunity decision. Trump's last ditch effort to grovel to, is to grovel to the Supreme Court to take up the case, which they are not obligated to do. It would take at least four of the Supreme Court justices to agree to hear the case. If they choose to do so, the question is, how soon would they act? As part of their ruling, the D.C. Circuit Court judges have given Trump until Monday to file his appeal to the Supreme Court, or they will return the case back to D.C. Judge Tanya Chutkin to resume preparations for a trial that could get underway within the next few months. 
Joining me now is Andrew Weissman, former FBI general counsel and former senior member of the Mueller probe. And Catherine Christian, former Manhattan assistant district attorney and MSNBC legal analyst. Thank you both for being here. This is the ruling, my friends. This is it. It gave me life today. But it it, it probably shouldn't have taken this long. In my mind, it was brilliantly written. I am going to start with you, um, Andrew, because yesterday, even... um, the, the, the attorneys on the tenure, Maya Wiley was here. We were all talking about how what our level of freak out was that this was taking so long. Was it worth the wait? The decision's great. Um, but just remember where we were at the argument at the oral argument. There wasn't anyone who was saying that Donald Trump would win. Right. One of the best ways of defeating the argument was when Judge Pan, one of the three judges, basically got the lawyer to just say, just, could you just repeat what your argument is? Yeah. Your argument is you're, the president can kill people, um, and can't be prosecuted. I mean, it was to say it was to refute it. Um, now this is a, a really bulletproof decision. I mean, it's just body blow after body blow. It's also beautifully written about upholding the constitution and what it means to be in America. Yeah. Um, and it is clearly written with an eye towards getting the Supreme Court to say no. Yeah. Um, so that there is no further delay. Um, in fact, one of the things that we were talking about um, as we were coming on is a little note in there that says, essentially, your only recourse, Donald Trump, is the Supreme Court. Yeah. Because if you come back to us, mm-hmm. we're not issuing the stay. Um, the, this is going back. If, it's, if you don't yeah. get the Supreme Court, it's going back to Judge Chutkin. Yeah. Um, so it's really clear the D.C. Circuit is fully behind this, um, as they should be. Um, yes, but we all liked it to be sooner because this yeah. is a race against the clock in terms of accountability. Um, but we are where we are. Um, I think the next thing to look for is there's no question Donald Trump is going to seek a stay sure. in the Supreme Court. Yep. And the real question that we will know very quickly is, do the, does he have four votes? That's where I come to you, Catherine, because I can think of two. <laughs> so could we. We were discussing one of them. <laughs> both of them take fabulous vacations. I don't know that I can think of four because I, as much as I, I, do, I don't have, you know, the greatest reverence for some of the other members of the Trump six, I can really only think of two who would have the audacity to refute this. Can you think of four? I'll say no. Andrew and I were discussing this early. We should not assume that because Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Barrett were appointed by Trump that they're going to say, oh, you know, he's our master. We can do what he wants. I don't think we should assume that. And or Judge Roberts. um, Yeah, I can't see Roberts doing it, honestly. So the two, the the unnamed two. Yes. But the vacation twins. Yes. (laughs) But the rest. No, I don't think it should be an assumption. The reality is that it is going to be the Supreme Court who will decide whether this case will be tried before the election. And this is, you know, some of the arguments were so brilliant. And and look, I I recommend really honestly, audience, I recommend you read it. It's really not that long. It's 57 pages, but like there's a lot of white space on the side. So you can read it pretty quickly. And I'm a very slow reader. But what's brilliant about it is they take his arguments and they break them like one by one. Like, right. I mean, the, the first of all, they say, well, how can it be that Gerald Ford was pardoned? If a former president can't be charged. So, I'm sorry, Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. Yep. He wouldn't have had to pardon Richard Nixon. Let me, let me just read this part. It says here, President Gerald Ford issued a full pardon to former President Richard Nixon 
which both former presidents evidently believed was necessary to avoid Nixon's post-resignation indictment. Before leaving office, President Bill Clinton agreed to a five-year suspension of his law license and a $25,000 fine in exchange for independent counsel, Robert Ray's agreement not to file criminal charges against him. So what they're saying is, if there's total presidential immunity, and they even said the part that they said, well, the founders knew how to write, um, you know, if they wanted to write immunity in, they would put it in. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the arguments, I mean, what did you make of, they, it felt like they closed every door. Right. I, I absolutely agree. And they clearly are thinking about timing. I mean, they wanted to shut this down and to make it as hard as possible, I think, um, for the Supreme Court to take this. You know, it is normally you might think the Supreme Court wants to be the court that affirms this to say, you know what, we, we're, we're going to take this because it's really important for the Supreme yeah. Court to say what is said here, not to reverse it, but so that there's a Supreme Court decision on point. The problem with the Supreme Court doing that is it by do by trying to say that's the principle, they will in effect be undermining that principle because if they take this, it, unless they can do it in lightning speed, right. um, they will de facto be giving him immunity um, because it will put the trial off really to beyond the election. And that's one where the American public is entitled yes. to that decision. Uh, people keep on forgetting the American public has a right to a speedy trial. That's correct. Not just the government. Not just the defense. Yeah. We have, uh, sitting here have a right to a yeah. speedy trial to the, to know, is the person running for office a, a felon? felon? Yeah. Did he engage in insurrection? Did he engage in what the judges said would be one of the most serious abuses of power? Yeah. That exists. And, you know, the, the insurrection part is really interesting. I want to come to you on this because they make the argument and then they said he tried, Trump's counsel tried to say, well, it's double jeopardy. But he was impe- the impeachment charge was insurrection. And he's not charged with that by Correct. his special counsel. Exactly. Many people criticize Jack Smith. Where's the insurrection charge? Yeah. Well, now it seems like he's brilliant. Yes. Um, conspiracy against rights, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy yeah. to obstruct an official proceeding. Those are the charges. Yeah. That is not what the House um, and the Senate were looking at. Yeah. And, and not only that, they said that an impeachment doesn't have any criminal penalties. So therefore, you can't say it's double jeopardy because impeachment has no criminal penalties. And they even took his own arguments and used them against him. They said, hang on a second, man. When you were defending yourself against impeachment, you said, don't impeach me. I can always be tried later. And now you're saying, but I can't be tried later. Like they tried to have it both ways. To me, the absurdity of being able to argue that actually is proof of two Americas. Because I cannot imagine the ordinary defendants who are filling the D.C. jails because of Donald Trump. They listened to him. They were not they, they weren't. This circular argument is what's keeping him from being tried. And I think it's outrageous that he can play this game with these ridiculous arguments that seem so easy to. Refute. I think it's very biting that they referred to him as citizen Trump. Yes, they did. And as you started off. I think they said that for a reason. You know, you're a former president and you are just like anyone else. So I think it was very important. They said it was also very important that it was unanimous. Yes. All three were on the same page. Yeah. And and the the judge that you talked about, um, Andrew, that did the 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 can the president use SEAL Team 6 to assassinate his political enemies. First, I think she's brilliant. I mean, all three of them made amazing arguments. But just listening to those oral arguments, I I think she, she she won this case because throughout it, you could see that they engaged his arguments, right? I mean, there, let me just do a, a couple of things. You guys should read it, but I'm going to read a little bit of This is about unbound authority. This is um, seven for my director. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around. We cannot accept former presidents 
Trump's claim that a president has unbound authority to commit crimes that would neutralize the most fundamental check on the executive power, the recognition and implementation of election results. Nor can we sanction his apparent contention that the executive has carte blanche to violate the rights of individual citizens to vote and have their votes count. This was an affirmation of the right to vote. So funny that okay, yeah. that's exactly. Is what that I'm what you're saying? saying? Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I play this game, which is like it's like you know, there's so many so wonderful, fun. quotable things. One of the things that points I wanted to make about that quote was, um, of course, the court defeated it. But just to be clear, um, former President Trump made that argument. The person who is running to be in the presidency is somebody who is saying to a court that I should have unbound authority to commit crimes. And the, and, and the court is saying no, because you would neutralize the most fundamental check on power. Yeah. That is, it's not some abstract proposition. It's not some lawyer saying it. This is somebody who we know has run for office. He's not saying I'm going to be a dictator for one day. He has said to the court, I want to have unbound authority to commit crimes. And the court is saying no. But it's really worth remembering uh, sort of taking this outside of the legal sphere to the political sphere, that is who is running for office. Somebody who the court is saying, this is somebody who wants to get rid of the separation of powers. And the court has had to address that and say, that is not American. In a way, Catherine, I, I was thinking earlier, in a way, perhaps we should almost be grateful that we've been through this era, as horrible as it's been. Because it is fascinating to me that there's this great reverence for the founders and the way they wrote the Constitution. But we are discovering all the holes. The Emoluments Clause is meaningless, clearly, right? Donald Trump violated it with absolutely no compunction and no penalties. It's, it's, it, and so much of it is based on their notion that there would always be men of good character in the White House. And he's violated every norm. And now we've had to have the courts actually say you can't kill people as president. We're now going to have the Supreme Court have to tell us whether you can commit insurrection, essentially, not essentially, have a try a coup and then run for office again. Like, we almost need to have that written down somewhere. So I almost kind of look forward to hopefully the Supreme Court saying that. I'm just not sure they will. And this decision was worth the wait because the 57 pages, as Andrew said, as many people said, I can't imagine this other than those two unnamed people any uh, Supreme Court justice saying, oh, no, they're wrong. So (laughs) we needed this decision for them to take their time and do it right and and just give a professional smackdown to Donald Trump in all of his legal arguments. Okay, let's get stupid. (laughs) Matt Gaetz, Elise Stefanik, they have introduced a resolution saying Trump, nope, didn't engage in insurrection. Let's play that. We are here today to authoritatively express that President Trump did not commit an insurrection. Anyone that puts the word insurrectionist calls President Trump an insurrectionist and calls any of us an insurrectionist is a liar and you do not deserve the power that you possess. Shame on you. Rogue far-left Democrat operatives are attempting to use this lie to illegally take President Trump off the ballot. I, I first want to apologize to my viewers for forcing you and your ears to take that in because, and I apologize to the world. America really is better than that. And we have a lot of intelligent people in the world, in our country. Does that have any, any, does that do anything for members of Congress who were hiding? I think we have a photo of um, Andrew Clyde helping to barricade the door on January 6th. I think we have Elise Stefanik on the floor. I think we have photos of them on January 6th. They themselves thought there was an insurrection then, apparently. 
Does this resolution have any force or any impact? No. Any of the no, yes, no. no. I think they're doing it because the arguments are on February eighth this week before ah. the Supreme Court on the Fourteenth okay. Amendment issue. But does it have? I mean, if they file an amicus brief, will, no. will the Supreme Court even read it? No, this is <laughs> no. But this is the fundamental problem. There will always in the world be charlatans, yeah. people like Donald Trump. The real problem is the enablers, the clips that we saw, okay. the people who are, especially when they're knowingly enabling yeah. and they know better. Yeah. Um, that's what's so pernicious. Yeah. Um, the sort of, you know, the people who are sort of because of power and position and wealth, they're willing to say, I'll do and say anything. And it's sort of, you sort of wonder how do they sort of go home and look at themselves and in the night. mirror and who were their parents. And I'm speaking, to, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, but I'm going to give you the last word on this because I, I, I'm hearing Elise Stefanik because I'm not sure the other two know any better. But she was a normal politician who's decided to sell her soul to Donald Trump. She was a moderate New York Republican at one yeah. time. Those used to exist. They still exist somewhere. Catherine Christian, thank you. Andrew is staying with us. Coming up, much more on today's momentous ruling denying Trump's claim of absolute immunity. Plus, the failed impeachment vote. Wow, this is this is actually something. The failed impeachment vote against Secretary Mayorkas. When the readout continues after this, you have to know how to count. One, two, three, four. You have not to count. <laughs> On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. As we are forced once more to imagine Donald Trump as the Republican nominee, it feels like we are barreling into banana republic territory all over again. Then there are the days that remind us that we are indeed a democracy. And today is one of those days. A federal appeals court ruled that Trump has no immunity from prosecution in the 2020 election interference case, meaning a man who seemingly acted like he was above the law was just told that he is, in fact, not and that he is indeed a citizen just like the rest of us. Andrew Weissman is back with me and joining us now is Tim O'Brien, senior executive editor of Bloomberg Opinion and a biographer of Donald Trump. How's he going to react to that? How much is he going to melt down, Tim? Oh, I think I think he privately will melt down tons. Publicly, he will act out according to the playbook he's acted out all along. He'll say he's being unfairly persecuted, Mm -hmm. that it's a witch hunt, that it's overreach. Um, But the reality is he knows he's never actually confronted the kind of legal artillery and prosecutorial force that's lined up on his doorstep now. You know, the only time he faced a federal prosecution prior to this this morass that he's in now was when he and his father got investigated by the Justice Department. By the Nixon Justice Department. For housing discrimination in the early 1970s. And it was a baby case and they basically made it go away with a plea agreement. Yeah. And never again. 
Yeah. And, and he thumbed his nose at regulators and he broke rules and he ran around the borders of the law. But no one cared about him as much then either because he was a cartoon figure and a real estate developer. Um, he now has two federal, very serious federal cases on his doorstep. And he's got uh, a very meaty state prosecution for voting fraud in, in Georgia. And then and then um, two cases in New York state. Yeah. And and he's just not prepared to deal with any of it. He's never attracted top legal talent to represent him. Yeah. He doesn't know how to conduct himself when evidence is being stacked up against him publicly. All he knows how to do is try to test the merits of the case in public. And that works against him in a situation like this. I think the only thing that saves him from this is the clock. And that's yeah. a very real problem. I think there's a real problem that this goes beyond the, the, the presidential election in November. If he wins, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to try to get both of the federal cases. Of course. Dismissed, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, but he's also, you know, he he doesn't have many skills. <laughs> he is unsophisticated and he's ignorant. But he is a profound survivor and he survived a lot of things most people couldn't get past. Yeah. And I think what he does to do that is he creates a reality bubble around himself. And he says, I'm a victim. I'm going to fight back, fight back with me. And I think one of the dangers is this progresses. And if and if those wheels of justice continue to turn against him, I think he will incite and incent people to come out onto the street because he's going to feel cornered. And this ruling today, I think it's devastating. Yeah. And it's not unprecedented in the sense of uh, the courts telling him he's not above the rule of law. You know, I think the Trump versus Vance ruling, mm -hmm. uh, where Cy Vance was trying to get his business records and Trump's lawyer said it's, it's prosecutorial overreach. Right. They're not entitled to get their hands on any of this. Roberts invoked the same argument that's in this appellate court briefing in a different way, citing different precedent. But the but the but the conclusion at the end of his ruling is no one is above the rule of law, right. including the president of the United States. Yeah, he's heard that before. Yeah, it's the stakes are getting higher and higher each time. And I mean, and the thing is, we're talking about this a little bit. Break. I'm going to try to bring it on to TV. Is that. We were a lot of even Neil Cattell was like he was in freakout mode, and it's like if Neil Cattell's in freakout mode, then I'm in freakout mode. Like I'm in freakout yeah, mode. I can't when imagine he, him in freakout mode. I can't either. It's probably yeah. like basically the same, <laughs> except he's saying I'm in freakout mode, right? I can't imagine you in freakout mode. But I mean, so, but, the, but the thing is, is that um, the delay was not on them. This, this, the fact that this case took so long, Andrew, former prosecutor, yeah. is actually an American scandal. So I think there there are a couple things. One. Um, the le normal legal time frame is not really built for this process, right? I mean, in other words, there's sort of two different time frames, and Donald Trump is taking advantage of that. Um, so part of a normal delay has to be just due process of law. Sure. A defendant is entitled to time to prepare yeah. to make motions. And that was part of what Judge Chutkin did when she had the case that began in August that she said, you know what, we can do this case in March. Yeah. To your point, though, it's, it's we're not talking about the appellate court. We can quibble over, okay, maybe it shouldn't have decided a week before or two yeah. weeks ago. But that's nothing compared to the issue of what about the time frame of the Department of Justice seeing the January 6th insurrection and not really taking you know, real action until 
frankly, Jack Smith was was put on the job and got things moving. Yeah. Um, and so that is the time frame that sort of led to the problem we're having where, the, where I remember saying we have a clock problem. That's Everyone right. Everyone keep their eye on, on the, the clock. clock. Yeah. And that is what we're doing now. But I, But today... You know, just to where we are, we're gonna, it's a good we're gonna, day. Yes. <laughs> yes, next week we will probably learn more because the Supreme Court, if it denies the cert petition, if it says well, I'm not taking, taking this, it. Yeah. it is green light to yeah. judge Chuck in and go, it is go, clear go. that there will. that's like will, a six-week case. How long is that case? Six to eight weeks. Okay. It will happen. Yeah. There will be a judgment. Whether it is, uh, this is where I'm an institutionalist, whether yeah. it is a conviction or, an or not. That's right. Um, and you know what? That jury has to find each of these things That's beyond right. a reasonable doubt. Yep. That is the government's burden. Yes. And the defense doesn't have to do anything. It's why he's citizen um, Trump. Exactly. Can you have ever imagined in all of the years of you covering Donald Trump and in being in Los Angeles Donald Trump, that Donald Trump, <laughs> an unremarkable businessman who <laughs> inherited $317 million and then lost $900 million, got a job with NBC, got a W-2 from the same place I get a W-2 from which is the only time he paid taxes and probably the most money he ever made. Terrible guy who couldn't, a terrible businessman who couldn't even make casinos work in Atlantic City. Yeah. Could you have imagined that that guy, number one, would be president of the United States, but also would be the guy whose name is going to be on the cases that determine whether the, whether Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution is enforceable, whether the emoluments clause is real, and whether a president has total immunity from criminal prosecution. Could you imagine that being Donald Trump? You know, I, I always have like this thought of the knee-jerk response anytime is, can you imagine connected to Donald Trump? <clears throat> the answer is always yes, <laughs> you know, because he will go to any lengths to do what any rodeo clown might do. Um, but of course not. In this case, could I have imagined Donald Trump to be president? I didn't think he was going to elected in 2016. I was profoundly wrong. Um, I didn't think that, but you know, I think, I think the revelation about Donald Trump isn't so much about Donald Trump. It's about voters. It's about us. It's, it's about, about this us. It's That's about right. the dynamics. And That's if there's, right. you know, if there's any virtue yeah. to the Trump era, it's that he's ripped this bandaid off ideas we've had about progress around racial equity, Absolutely. social equity, yes. uh, the rule of law. Uh, and he's forcing us now to actually stand up for these things, not yeah. to sort of ride along with the argument that a rising tide lifts all boats, That's that a right. strong economy wedded to a strong democracy ultimately lands in the right place mm -hmm. because he is ripping apart the foundations of civil society and civil discourse. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I never imagined he could be president because I thought about the presidency as a, as, as, as an office that attracted miscreants from time to time yeah. or or egotists or yeah. flawed people, but wasn't a place that would house someone ultimately who had dictatorial aspirations yeah. and who is flagrantly illicit day in and day out. And and now he's a he's a historical figure. He absolutely is. He's going into the history books in the worst way. Uh, but thank God we still have enough institutions left standing that they can actually put the rule of law back on the table. Uh, Andrew Weissman, Tim O'Brien, thank you both. It's thank been you, a pleasure. Joy. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad to be here with you here at the end of all things, to quote. <laughs> Y'all can Google what that movie is. Uh, still ahead. If you thought the Republican-led do-nothing Congress was a joke before tonight's impeachment debacle, baby, just wait. Speaker Mike Johnson just shouted, hold my beer in front of the entire country. And pee-pee dispense. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Why Is This Happening? Evangelical pastor and director of Vote Common Good, Doug Paget 
on the rise of Christian nationalism and what's at stake in this year's election. We lack a story in this country about what our politics are supposed to achieve. And when we suggest to them that the common good can be your voting identity, rather than being Republican or being a Democrat or being fiscally this or that, big government or small government, but you care about the common good, people are like, oh yeah, that that I actually care about. That's this week on Why Is This Happening. Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and subscribe. Jen Psaki. Have you ever seen the House this dysfunctional? Rachel Maddow. If winning the election is his plan to stay out of prison, what happens in that election if and when he does not win it? Mondays, back to back. Talk about the stakes of this back and forth, given Trump's behavior. What do you make of the statement from Hamas? Why they're doing it? What, what do you think it means? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9 p.m. Eastern, Mondays on MSNBC. On this vote, the yeas are 214 and the nays are 216. The resolution is not adopted. Stunning. Wow, that was that was House Speaker Mike Johnson just moments ago facing a truly stunning defeat as a vote to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas failed on the floor with four Republicans joining all of the Democrats to reject the measure. It was a dramatic moment as the roll call ended in, as you heard, a 215 to 215 tie until a member of Republican leadership changed his vote to no at the last segment. And that is, of course, a procedural move that will allow them to bring the issue up again when Majority Leader Steve Scalise returns from cancer treatment. The effort was part of a months-long performative stunt that frankly served no purpose other than to try to put on a show impeachment trial. It's what they so, so badly wanted to do to Joe Biden, but just couldn't make it happen without, you know, like witnesses or proof of any wrongdoing. Well, actually, they didn't have that against Mallorcas either. And believe it or not, it is not the Republicans' only failure of the day. As Senate Republicans made it clear that they will kill the bipartisan border security bill that the party spent months demanding from the White House. It was a bill so conservative that the Chamber of Commerce, the Border Patrol Union, which endorsed Donald Trump in the previous two elections, and even the editorial board of the Rupert Murdoch-owned Wall Street Journal urged Republican lawmakers to pass. President Biden spoke earlier about their refusal to even consider the bill and made it clear that he will take their reluctance directly to the American people. But if the bill fails, I want to be absolutely clear about something. The American people are going to know why it failed. I'll be taking this issue to the country. And the voters are going to know that it's not just a moment. Just at the moment, we're going to secure the border and fund these other programs. Trump and the MAGA Republicans said no because they're afraid of Donald Trump. Joining me now is Democratic Senator Alex Padilla of California. I, I, you know, it, it is incredibly stunning. I was actually listening to uh, Ari Melber on Zeris XM on my way over uh, to 30 Rock and could not believe. I mean, I guess I can believe it because the Republican Party could barely elect a speaker. But as you watch this senator, this bill go down in flames on the floor, this is all they're talking about. They don't want to pass a border bill. They want to impeach Mayorkas. Your, your thoughts on them failing to be able to get that vote through? Yeah, I mean, you, you, Joy, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, for those of us actually serious about the task at hand, you know, we keep uh, asking not only when are Republicans going to get serious, but they got to make up their minds, right? On the one hand, they say, no, we need a border deal and we're going to get uh, Secretary Marcus in the room to help us negotiate policy and language 
But with the other hand, they call for his impeachment. They can't even do that. Uh, and in the one hand, they're saying it's a, it's a crisis at the border. It's, there's an urgent need to act. And, and there's definitely room for improvement there. But with, you know, once Donald Trump says, no, 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 wait till the November election, then they all fall in line. This is not a way to govern, Joe. We have real issues. And let me remind us why we're even here on the border conversation, because this is the price Republicans wanted to extract for funding to help Ukraine in their battle against Putin's aggression. Uh, and even through the negotiation, even with the work product, they, you know, pulled their the tail between their legs and are running away. It, it is. It is. I, I mean, I, I've seen like sort of failed politics before. You've seen it before. You've seen people who, and look, there, Speaker Mike Johnson is no Nancy Pelosi. She had the same majority, never missed a vote. Uh, she could count, right? And there's a, a majority whip whose job, job it is to count votes. The fact that they couldn't do that and that they actually went in not knowing whether they had the votes is actually stunning. It's like the Speaker's Job 101. But let's talk about the actual bill itself. Here's what's in it. It's $60 billion to assist Ukraine. As you just mentioned, it's Israel funding $14 billion. It's $10 billion for humanitarian aid to civilians in Ukraine and in Gaza. It's $4.83 billion for countries in the Indo-Pacific. It's $20 billion for the southern border. The, the bill was negotiated by Chris Murphy of Connecticut, Democrat, John James Langford of Oklahoma, very conservative Republican, and uh, Democrat turned independent from Arizona, Kirsten Sinema. You, this is not even a bill that you support, sir. You, you, the, the bill is pretty harsh, and it, it was you know, not negotiated with folks like you in the room. But what do you make of the fact that it is a bill that is— to the liking, one would think, of far-right-ring Republicans, and yet they're saying they don't want it. Right. So let me be clear, Joy. There's a, a lot that I would be supportive of in the overall package, uh, not just the assistance to Ukraine and Israel, the humanitarian aid, which is critical, funding for Taiwan, uh, further uh, strengthening our posture in the Indo-Pacific region. That's all good, and that's all timely and urgent, but not at the expense of bad border policy. I mean, what we had on the table, what we had in this package was a retread of Trump's failed policies when he shut down the border. Remember, uh, for years we talked about Title 42, but most people should understand and appreciate it. The number of people coming to the United States went up during Title 42. So if it didn't work then, why do we think it's going to work now? And we can go through other elements of what's in the bill that uh, uh, Democrats should not be thrilled about. But there's also what's not in the bill. I mean, historically, Democrats said, look, enforcement alone isn't going to do the trick. You balance enforcement measures, which are smarter and more thoughtful, with legal pathways, right. whether it's relief right. for dreamers, relief for farm workers, relief for essential workers that sacrificed so much during the pandemic but happened to be undocumented. You know, that wasn't in this package, which is, uh, you know, a, a big failure here. Uh, there's people who are coming to the United States seeking asylum, and we do need to uh, fund that system more to reduce the backlogs. But one of the criticisms is there's too many people who don't qualify for asylum. They're actually coming here to try to work. They're looking for economic opportunity. Last I checked, there's employers across so many sectors of our economy looking for workers. We have record sustained low unemployment levels. So right. imagine broadening the work visa categories, matching workers with employers who need workers. Uh, that's a more thoughtful way to approach this. I, and yet, Donald, uh, I'm sorry, Joe Biden essentially said Republicans 
We'll leave all of that aside that Senator Padilla would want and we'll give you everything you want. And they still said no. It is remarkable. Do you expect the Senate to also back away from the bill? Are the our Senate Republicans very quickly? Are they also backing away from this bill? Well, I think by the minute there's another another Republican, another Republican that says they're they're no vote on the package that they yeah. themselves asked for, yeah. that they themselves negotiated and, and shook hands on. So we'll find out tomorrow if uh, we take the next procedural step yeah. of taking up this package. And if it falls short, which is, I think, at this point, the expectation, sure. the, the urgency doesn't go away. The need for assistance to Ukraine, uh, funding for Middle East, particularly humanitarian aid, right. Taiwan, Indo-Pacific, and to address uh, the border. Clearly a need to uh, not just uh, modernize the immigration law, sure. but for secure the border, more orderly, more humane not returning to the failed uh, policy of the Trump administration. Right. Well, we will see what happens, Senator. Uh, Senator Alex Padilla, thank you very much. Much appreciated. We All will right. see thank what happens. And okay. when we come back, I'll be joined by the brilliant and insightful Michael Betchloss to talk about how today's many momentous events fit into American history. Stay right there. It is a truly important day in American history with an appeals court ruling that Donald Trump, indicted four times with 91 charges, does not have absolute immunity in his election interference case. Meanwhile, in an embarrassing, really truly humiliating attempt to play politics, House Republicans failed to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, a move so ridiculous he would have been only the second cabinet member to ever be impeached. And joining me now is the best person to process the historical significance of this amazingly important day, NBC News presidential historian Michael Beschloss. And uh, because you're my friend, I'm going to let you start in either place you want to go, because these are two equally sort of bizarre and different odd things that happened today. But which one would you like to start with, my friend? <laughs> well, I'd like to start with another, my friend, and that is uh, just as a point of guest privilege, there's another historical event today, and that is the publication of your astounding and brilliant and essential new book, Medgar and Murley, which oh. is the love story that changed America. You're Everyone so watching us should read it, should order it, go to your bookstore. Thank you. you will be inspired. You will love it. It's an emotional story. And it's also a story that tells us all how to behave in the year 2020. You're so kind. I promise y'all we I'm did not plan that. I'm happy to do Thank it. You. And I'm sorry to spring this on you, but... Oh. Uh, my heart feels. Strong. You're so kind. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Well, well, well. Now on to the on to the shenanigans. Let's 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 actually start with the House because, you know, it it is not every day that a you know secretary in the president's cabinet gets impeached. It is very rare, and the fact that that is where the House majority wanted to go rather than trying to pass an actual bill to deal with border security. What do you make of that being their plan and then that plan failing? It's ridiculous, and it's an effort by Republicans to vandalize another institution of democracy, which is the way that the Congress behaves toward cabinet members. You know, in history, if the uh, majority uh, of, a, of the House of Representatives, like these Republicans, for instance, disagrees with a policy, as they do have disagreed with a lot of things that Mayorkas has done, the way you do it is you argue with him and you pass legislation. You don't impeach him. Yeah. That is reserved for instances of malfeasance. Even Albert Fall, the 
Harding, uh, Secretary of the Interior during the Teapot Dome scandal, he wasn't impeached. He was forced to resign and he was sent to prison. Yes. Same thing with John Mitchell, Nixon's attorney general. That's the way we do it. If you criminalize every policy disagreement, this de- democracy is basically finished. Right. And to, to that point, that brings us sort of perfectly to where we uh, stood with the D.C. Circuit. We waited a long time to get this ruling. A lot of people were started to, Neil Cottrell scared us all by going into freakout mode yesterday, as I did with him. Um, Including but, me. Same. I mean, but, but the thing is, reading that uh, ruling today, it, it made it almost worth the wait because it was so brilliantly laid out. And they took each of Donald Trump's uh, l- lawyers' arguments apart so systematically that one cannot imagine even this Supreme Court standing in the way of it. But, you know, I asked Tim O'Brien this, and I'll just ask you this as well. And Tim O'Brien said he couldn't have imagined someone like Donald Trump or Donald Trump, he knows him, being president. Um, But what do you make of the fact that it is Donald Trump, the sort of ridiculous figure um, of American popular culture in many ways, who Mm -hmm. is the guy whose name is going to be on the rulings that tell us whether the third or the Article three of the 14th Amendment has any effect? Well, I hope that's the worst thing that happens, Joy. (laughs) What I hope does not happen is the Supreme Court, God forbid, decides to take this up as if those idiotic arguments made by those Trump lawyers about presidential immunity were even worth three seconds of their Uh. attention. Or even more insidious, if the Supreme Court says, well, you know, we'll we'll consider this, but it's going to take a while. And the result is that this case is never tried before the 2024 election. And Donald Trump Uh, becomes president without having ever to face justice in a court for what he did on January 6th. Yeah, what what analyze just for us. I mean, the the founders get a lot of uh, love from uh, particularly from conservatives who sort of make them sort of inviolable, that their intellect is sort of perfect. But clearly they, they, they created a system with giant flaws, right? Well, the, the Constitution has these holes that Donald Trump just drove a truck through. And, you know, what do you make of the fact that we've come to a place, what, 246, 250-odd years into this country, where we actually could have a dictator? Our luck has run out. And the problem is that this is a Constitution, as we know, that was written in 1787, was amended since then, Uh, But you cannot expect a document like that to be airtight against the world of 2024. I mean, I wish our founders were that brilliant. And in certain ways, they were obviously not brilliant at the time. They allowed institutions like slavery. They gave too much power to areas that had small populations. And we are paying the price for that now. But... A lot of founders assumed that every president of the future was going to be like the first one, Mm. George Washington, people of character, that they had established a system that would make sure that only people of character got elected president. And that's why, if you look at the Constitution, it doesn't say too much about what a president should do, because they knew that George Washington, this person of towering character in most respects— He was a slaveholder. That Mm. was one exception to that, large exception, but that he would basically work this out. Alexander Hamilton, who was a little bit more familiar with the gloomy side of human nature, (laughs) he was one of those who predicted that the person elected president could one day be a demagogue and intriguer and essentially a possible criminal. Yeah. Uh, We almost avoided that all this time. Uh, Our luck is running out. And I hope against hope that 
our system is going to make sure that we are protected against that. And very quickly, as we wrap up, does it give you, um, I don't know what it does. In a sense, I feel that justice delayed is justice denied and that totally. the, the, the fact that somebody of wealth can make it take so long to get justice, for justice to meet them is the problem, right? It's not that our institutions are flawed. It's that they're slow when it comes to people like Trump. No, they are slow. And if this is delayed and there's no trial before the election, that is justice denied. And we could be witnessing the death of American democracy this Indeed. year if that happens. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, look at someone who doesn't have those expensive yeah. lawyers going into the legal system. Yeah. They go to jail. It's Straight not to like jail. Donald Trump. Straight to jail. Michael Beschloss, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank my you. Friend. And congratulations on the great day. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. On Thursday, the U.S. Supreme Court will hear oral arguments on whether Donald Trump can remain on the ballot in the state of Colorado. Be sure to join me Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, immediately after the readout, along with the great Rachel Maddow and many others, as we break down the arguments and how it affects this year's election. And I'm very proud to announce that today actually is official publication day of my new book. Thank you, Michael Beschloss, for that big up. That means that you can pick up a copy of Medgar and Murley, the love story that awakened America right now. And you can see me talking about it later tonight on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. So much fun. And that is tonight's readout. Former President Donald Trump is facing 91 indictment charges, yet he remains the Republican frontrunner. On MSNBC's podcast, Prosecuting Donald Trump, veteran prosecutors Andrew Weissman and Mary McCord break down the biggest legal developments and how they could alter the election. Never had a president who engaged in this kind of conduct who's running for office. He is using the criminal cases for his own campaigning. Search for Prosecuting Donald Trump wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday.